Cardology is now presented by Sardine, and I couldn't be more excited. You'll get to meet their founder, Soups, and some of the team later this quarter, and you'll hear a bit more about why they've caught the attention of some of the smartest fraud leaders I know throughout crypto, fintech, financial services, and e-commerce. Thanks again to Sardine for supporting this episode of Fraudology. I hope you enjoy it. Welcome back to this week's Tuesday episode of the Fraudology podcast, where we dive into the science and study of online fraud from the perspective of an e-commerce fraud fighter. I'm Carice Hendrick. Last week, Frank McKenna joined me to talk about credit washing. There have been two different topics that Frank has been talking about quite a bit on his blog, Frank on Fraud, which is fantastic if you don't already follow it as well as on his LinkedIn, which I also recommend following him on. And that has been credit washing as well as check fraud. These are two things that I didn't fully understand what they were or why they were happening or what the impact was. So I was so grateful that Frank agreed to stop by Fraudology to have conversations and and answer my questions while also giving you an opportunity to learn about these as well. While I often will focus on my area of expertise, which is often e-commerce and online and marketplace and consumer-focused fintech and other areas like that of fraud prevention, whether it's payment fraud or abuse, etc., I think it's really important to understand the overall ecosystem and landscape of where fraud is targeting various types of companies. So different lines of businesses within banking are going to be targeted in different ways, whether it's lending or new account opening. There'll be different spins on the fraud tactics, as well as different types of e-commerce companies. Online gaming is going to have completely different types of tactics than retail and down the line. So I think it's important, no matter where you work now, to just kind of have an understanding of different types of fraud because, A, you don't know where you're going to be working in a few years, and it's always helpful to understand just the basics of what is being targeted and how are they doing it and what type of methods are out there, as well as a lot of these methods that might start targeting one type of company will morph into a method for different other types of companies. So the easiest example I use for that is the account takeover used to just target the financial institutions about 10 or 12 years ago. And then online gaming started to see it and gambling. And now it is everywhere. Any company that has accounts for their consumers or their users are going to be targeted but via ATO for various purposes, whether that's draining the stored value on the account of credits or loyalty points, et cetera, or whether that's to make a giant purchase or apply for a big loan. I mean, it really is going to vary based on the type of business, but it's just my whole point of this is to say that I think it's important to just learn about some of the other types of methods because you never know when they're going to be helpful. That's why I asked Frank to come to Fraudology last week to talk about credit washing. That is something that I just didn't really understand. And even when I looked up what it was, I didn't fully understand why it was bad or why it was considered fraud. But at the end of that conversation with Frank, I really understood it as well as why it's growing so quickly and has a lot of ripple effects, especially as the economy is still a little bit fragile. (laughs) So if you didn't listen to that episode, of course, I'm going to recommend that you do that. This week, Frank came to talk about the second type of fraud that he has been highlighting a lot, and that is 
check fraud, physical check fraud. I'm not talking about ACH fraud. That is a whole other subject on its own that I would like to have a guest on to tackle at some point. But we're talking about physical checks. And this has actually resulted in a lot of violent attacks against U.S. postal workers. I believe this might be happening in other countries too, but right now, a lot of the telegram buzz around this and everything is within the U.S., but I couldn't understand why that was happening in 2022. And I feel kind of naive and ignorant to think that now that I've had this conversation with Frank and you'll get to listen in soon and understand why I was wrong. But it just goes back to something that actually Robert Capps and I talked about a few weeks ago. And he was talking about it in relation to e-commerce and marketplaces where the volume of transactions or accounts goes down Oftentimes, the business's reaction is to make a reduction in force. So, you know, hypothetically, if your company is seeing 20% dip in transactions or a 20% dip in account openings or, you know, whatever that is, then oftentimes they will reduce labor by that percentage on the areas within the business and operations that support customers and transactions, right? So customer support and warehouse, et cetera. But Robert made such a good point. Fraud doesn't work like that. We cannot predict that fraud is going to go down just because legitimate consumer usage is also going down. And that is true for physical checks as well. I am not going to steal Frank's thunder, so I will let you listen in on all of that. But today he'll be you know, talking a lot about the different types of check fraud, right? So there's check washing or check theft or social engineering scams that will target vulnerable people via overpayment schemes and why this is just becoming such a big deal and why banks aren't able to stop it and what the impact is on consumers as well as other areas. And if your business accepts physical checks, which I do know that there are online businesses that do that in various ways. I apologize, not online checks. If your business accepts physical checks, which I do know some of you still do here or there, be aware of this scam or scheme. Or if you have brick and mortar businesses within your operations, let them know that this is happening. It is a big deal, especially when I went on Telegram after talking to Frank and looked up the words that he said they use for talking about check fraud in code. It was just post after post after post. I'm also going to be including two people within the show notes links to their LinkedIn page to two other people in addition to Frank in the show notes, because these are two people who I've been following and learning a lot about check fraud in addition to Frank. One of them is a USPS law enforcement officer who will post sometimes multiple articles, news articles in a day about various violent attacks against postal workers with the sheer intention of getting either checks that are being mailed or the keys to be able to open up all of the P.O. boxes within their physical post office. This is scary stuff. There are actually mail carriers being held up at gunpoint for mail. And these thieves just go through the mail looking for any physical check and they're able to convert that and change the amount and change who it's for and steal, you know, sometimes thousands of dollars from innocent consumers or businesses. So I'm going to stop talking so that you can listen to the genius of Frank McKenna. But I really hope you enjoy this episode and I look forward to speaking with you soon. So let's move on to 
check. The oldest fraud in America, check well, fraud. Yeah. So again, I'm going to ask, is this primarily happening in the U.S. or are you aware of it happening other places or hard to know? Yeah, it's a U.S. The U.S. is <laughs> the only countries that it use, still uses checks quite a bit. Most of the other countries have gotten away. We Yeah. We're kind of can't get away from the checks, but check use has been declining continuously since the 80s. Yeah. Right? It's, it's gone down and down and down every year. But the interesting thing is check fraud is going up and up and up every year. So what's happening is check use is declining. Check fraud is increasing. And so you have this huge imbalance as checks go down. Maybe it's like a Lake Mead, right? When it's as it's drying up, all of the like looks like it's just boats and dead bodies. It's kind of like... You can tell I, you're from California. <laughs> and now it's... But it's like that. It's just, there's, there's not many checks out there, but most of the checks are now fraud. So you and, think it would be easier to identify because of that, but... Yeah, but there's... So something's happened over the last year. Yeah. It's really spiked, right? It's yeah. Like I think the last time it was measured, there's another problem with check fraud. It's not measured. There's no industry stats except from the ABA. Yeah. And they only put out stats once every couple years. And the last time there's been any stats check probably was about 16 billion so that's 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 the highest it ever was in history. wow 16 billion in one year in one year yeah but yeah. that and when was the last time that they reported that 2018 so now four Ooh. years later and i was talking to nice acts jake emery who's a friend of mine you might know him as well yep uh-huh. yes he showed me there i think i know him through you or marianne yeah yeah <laughs> great guy yeah yeah he and i've had some good conversations i actually Borrowed the phrase fraud venture capitalism, or <laughs> not capitalism, fraud venture capital yes, from him. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> super bright guy and super passionate about fraud. Yeah. Another guy that I just met off of, he just said, hey, let's get coffee. I read your blog and he's here in San Diego. And I was like, oh, right, let's get coffee. And now we've been great friends ever since. Oh, that's so amazing. We talk to each other pretty much daily on fraud. And so he was he was telling me they did their report and check fraud was up like over 100% last year. I talked to you know some other companies that have check fraud solutions out there and every single bank has reported massive spikes in, in check fraud over the last year. So what's happening? What's behind? Yes, that was exactly, I was like, why is that? And that's, I mean, especially for those of us that, you know, are just so immersed in online, we think of ACH, we think of credit cards, we think nope. of Apple Pay and Google Pay and all the pays. The why digital, checks? Well, it's, yeah, BNPL, but why checks? It goes, as all things do these days, it all goes back to shifts in behavior and shifts Primarily due to the stimulus. So the stimulus funds have dried up. Mm. You have these, these, I think there's millions of new fraudsters here in the U.S. that learned how to commit fraud in the time of stimulus. They learned yep, how to they get their teeth on PVP and yeah. yep, EIDL and unemployment. I, yep, we're and seeing the same thing on our side. Mm-hmm. They got their fake IDs. They got their Telegram accounts. They yep. got contacts. And so they're going, how am I going to make money? So they shifted to things that are easily conducted online. And one of those is check fraud. So Telegram in particular has all these channels where you can buy, they call them glass. And I I, I never knew what glass was. Yeah, I, was I've seen a, that, but I haven't, I didn't actually know what it was either. Glass, if you think about it, Glass refers to clear. And when you talk about a check clearing, it means that the check is going to work. It's going to clear the bank and you're going to get your money. They call it glass. So they're selling glass. And there's thousands of these telegram channels where people are basically counterfeiting checks and they're basically selling them online for people's real accounts. 
And you can deposit those checks through mobile deposit, whatever, or cash them and get the money out. So they're being sold on Telegram. But the other thing, the other way they're getting these checks, the way they're getting these checks to sell them on Telegram is by stealing postal keys. I was, yep, that was something I was going to ask you about if you didn't bring it up. Somebody that you quoted on... Frank Galbrigo. Frank Galbrigo. He is the... Do you follow him on LinkedIn? Please, yeah. Yeah, he's very very diligent about continuously posting these and some of them are quite violent. Yes. Um, Can you actually, can you say his name one more time? Because I probably I think it's Frank Albrigo. That sounds right. Albrigo. Yeah, he is the president of the Postal Police. Yes. Yeah. He's vocal because what happened during during COVID is they cut back on all the police, postal police, Mm. like the postal carriers. And when that happened, these postal carriers started being targeted with at gunpoint demanding they turn over those postal keys. So why do people want those postal keys? Because you can go into the the mailboxes for an entire city. Mm. Basically it's a master key or a zip code or a or a big apartment complex. You can open it up, take all the checks out of the mail. You take those checks, you can put them on Telegram and you can actually wash the checks. So we're back to washing now. <laughs> the check washing. But basically they if you go online you can see people washing checks. What they do it they can do it chemically. They could do it by scratching out. So they can, you can basically take like a something hard or metal on the name on the check and just kind of scratch out the ink and then write your own name on top of it and then take a photo and post it on a Telegram. Mm-hmm. And then somebody will buy that check for a certain amount. I think they they obfuscate certain things obviously, but you can take those checks, deposit them and get the money. And so that mail theft has been driving up a lot of the check fraud that we're seeing online. So it's it's gone, it's semi new tech, but it's it's really old technology, you know, it's, it's it's checks. Right, right. So the kind of the obvious question is how like why would it work? Why would it and I I think I know the answer, but if you're, so they're using mobile deposit to deposit, mobile deposit these checks that they've taken the real contact information off and the real amount off or whatever, and they're making it out to themselves. Mm-hmm. They're taking pictures of the check front and back. Why wouldn't technology pick that up? Or is it, or what, yeah. why? I mean, cause you would think that that would be obvious, but. Well, the sig- remember the signatures on these checks? These are. Oh, right. Of these are you, Carice, go to mail your payment to your utility provider. Maybe it's a couple hundred dollars. Maybe it's $75. I don't know what you would pay up there, but here in California, it's outrageous. I mean, mm. and anyway, you'll put that check in your outgoing mail. It's going to have your signature. It's going to be your account. Basically, if somebody gets a hold of that check and scratches it off a new payee and changes the dollar amount, instead of a $200 check, they make it 1200 by putting a one and a comma, and then they scratch out the amount. They can basically make that check, which is your check, by the way, with right. your signature, payable to them. And so you you wrote that check, that check number. Right. Like yours. And unless you actually looked at your bank account online or your statement, you wouldn't know if you had the funds in that account, it would clear and then you would get the money. So okay. that's why the washing works. Right, right. Okay. So that's specific to check washing because yeah. they're using a legitimate check. And I mean, do that many people send checks in the mail now still? A lot of people. Yeah. A lot yeah. of people oh. send checks in the mail. Checks, Lots of checks are in the mail. Some locations are advising people not to mail checks anymore. I was just going to ask if the USPS is starting to do that or... Zip codes, yeah. 
or other people are saying like, or maybe the banks are saying, hey, please sign up for online banking. Here's why. Absolutely. Yeah. But also though, just sorry, just thinking out loud here, but when you sign up for online banking, if your bank doesn't have, and this is going down the rabbit hole of, I worked with a bill pay type company few years ago as a consultant. So I learned a lot about that space. I mean, if they don't have a direct relationship with the payee, then they're sending a check in the mail to person, right? So for instance, and maybe this is too personal, but I don't get them anymore because she's 18. But, you know, my ex-husband would send child support, right? Once a month. They do it automatically through bill pay. So to them, they were doing it automatically, but I would get the check in the mail, are those also getting washed or That's a good question? Hard to know. I think I have no idea. I would assume they would be. Right. If so that bill pay isn't really a solution. I mean, yeah, I, that's a good question. I have no idea. I think I think no checks are safe. Yeah. And I think you had answer asked a really good question is doesn't the technology find this stuff? Right. And here's here's the crux of the problem is banks think that. For for twenty years, people have told them checks are going away. So no. If you want to, if you want to talk about frustrated fraud people, go to the check fraud people at banks who, oh, for twenty I years of it, they've been using technology that banks are using technology. They're for check fraud technology they bought before they upgraded to Windows ninety five. Oh my gosh! So they upgraded to Windows ninety five after they put in their check fraud tech. So a lot of banks are using very, 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 very old check fraud technology because the executives are like, why would I invest right. in solid check fraud detection system? Because checks are going away. Sardine is now sponsoring Fraudology. And one of the reasons I've been so impressed by Sardine is their founder, Soups Ranjan. You'll hear my full conversation with him in the next few weeks, and you'll get to hear about some of his experiences and his passion for fraud fighting for yourself. But the TLDR, or the high-level summary, is that he started out as a fraud fighter with an engineering and data science background, and he was tasked with quickly identifying a fraud solution for one of the fastest-growing companies in the relatively new and high-risk crypto industry almost a decade ago. But after learning about the available options for online fraud detection, he became frustrated with the existing tools on the market. And as fellow fraud fighters, I think a lot of us know exactly the kind of tools he was frustrated with. The legacy fraud tools that just return a score or a signal or a yes, no, maybe without your team getting to understand all of the aggregated data or the value attributed to each data point that goes into calculating that score or the vendor who won't give you your company's data for your own models. And their own user interface was probably an afterthought. And let's be honest, Soup wasn't the only one who's been frustrated by the status quo in fraud technology. But not all of us are able to rage quit our jobs, recruit a few of the smartest risk engineers we've ever known, and go build a fraud platform that is truly built by the fraud squad for the fraud squad. A platform for KYC, AML, and payment risk all in one product that lets the client company decide how to best use the massive amounts of data that's available to them. That's pretty much exactly what Soups did a few years ago. And the result of those efforts has become one of the fastest growing solution providers in fraud that I've seen in many years. And that company is Sardine. To learn more about Sardine or to book a personalized demo, you can go to www.sardine.ai or just click the link at the top of the description for today's episode.
Meanwhile, fraud goes up and up and up and up. So it's... it's That's so similar to something that Robert Capps said, I think two weeks ago on Fraudology. Yeah, I think it was two weeks ago today. Like when this episode comes out, it was Tuesday. I want to say it was 4th of August. Anyway, I know they are... Actually, no, sorry, the 11th. Or wait, now I'm really getting confused. It was the 9th of August, if anyone's looking it up. But it's my first conversation with him in a two-part series. But I remember him saying one of the reasons why fraud departments, some fraud departments for some companies are being laid off right now is because leadership is looking at it kind of like they look at customer service and they say, okay, if our transaction volume or our volume of, of X is going to go down by 30%, then we can deduce our customer service support by 30% because the call volume will go down. Fraud's not like that. Fraud is not at all related to how many transactions you have, if anything, given what you're saying here about check fraud. Sometimes it can be even more so because, okay, it's going down. Well, checks may be just like a couple of percentage points of usage. But Mm -hmm. within that, if the percentage of the fraud checks are so much higher yeah. Wow, that that's crazy to me that they haven't invested in it since then. They haven't. Even on the mobile pay and the and the online bill pay plan, yeah, maybe a little bit more, but not as much. A little bit more. Yeah, they haven't. That was obviously newer. They put some some of those in, and they they can do fairly well. But there's all sorts of gimmicks people will play with mobile deposit, like mm. shotgunning, where they go to bank after bank after bank very quickly, submitting those checks over and over again. Mm. The other thing they'll do is they'll. So Miller knows about check over and over again in different accounts. Yeah. Or resubmitting it over and over. Mm. They will. Marianne Miller knows a lot about this because yeah. she, she saw a lot of this mobile deposit scheme. So they I take bet. advantage of timing at the ATM. So the deposit check at 11.59, take the max cash out and they'll go and do another check and at 101 and take the max cash out of the ATM. Mm. So and then you do that across enough accounts. You could walk out away from that ATM with tens of thousands of dollars. With, Without those check clearing. Right. And the the one other thing, the real big thing is every single, if you look at every single scam out there, scammers love to send people checks and say, oh, I mailed you too much. Send me some money back. Yes. And yes. that that has been a huge. Scams. The overpayment scams have been huge. And processors love checks because of the float time, right? That makes checks suck, but it makes checks yeah. perfect for fraudsters because they can send you these checks. You think it's good. You deposit it. Your bank's like, oh, okay, we'll let you, we'll give you the funds mm-hmm. now. You'll send the money right. back. And then three days later, you get a notice and you're pissed. But yeah. And now they'll no longer take your calls, right? Because yeah. they got what they wanted. Yeah. I've actually seen, I mean, just anecdotally, and we're recording this, you know, a little bit, like about a week before it'll go out on the podcast. But anecdotally, I have received at least four or five messages from fake charities on LinkedIn recently. And that's mm. so rare because the team, I was actually going to, I was going to accidentally name the head of trust and safety because I've known him for 10 years, but that team there does such a good job. So I can tell that their motivation is overpayment schemes. You know, we received a really big charitable check and we just, you know, we need somebody in the U.S. to cash it and then, you know, that kind of stuff and we'll pay. Or, well, I guess it's a little bit different than overpayment, but like the overpayment goes, okay, I owe you a hundred dollars. Oh, oops, I wrote you a check for 500. Can you send me back the 400? And then by the time, you know, so you, you take the hundred, you give them 400 and then you find out from your bank three days later that that $500 was not 
actually given to you. Yeah, that's driving checks brought up. Right. So that's- So what are the solution? I mean, what is the solution at, at a higher level and, and what can, you know, companies do? I mean, it just seems like it's it's going yeah. up and up. And I mean, between these USPS violent thefts and, you know, some of them are getting really attacked. I did look up, I think you might say it, Frank Al- Albergo, A-L-B-E-R. Albergo. Yeah, I hope please by that. I asked him to come on Fraudology, but he said the extent of his knowledge is more on like the thefts and not so much what's happening with the checks afterwards. Gotcha. Yeah. So he he does know somebody that might maybe they can go on together. A professor who his students track check fraud on Telegram. Oh, interesting. there you go. There's a there's your yeah. podcast of the future. Right. Um, I think combined, they'll give you a very good insight. Oh, yeah. But yeah, I think you're right. I think number one, we got to get more support for postal carriers. And to his point, what he's just been championing is getting more police on the street. Yeah. Protecting them, protecting the keys, protecting the infrastructure. Yeah. Postal service. Then on the banking side is let's get rid of the fallacy that checks are going away. As they decline, we're just going to see a higher rate of check fraud because legitimate use will decline, but fraud use will keep going up. And so you have yeah. to put some technology in. There's some great companies like MyTech who've, who've got some new consortium based solutions. There's a lot of companies that are doing like the check imaging and the counterfeit detection. Right. There's just invest in, in more of those optical, the ability to use technology to fight checks instead of stuff that was around. Yes. 40 years ago. Yeah, that's my me. But then again, those of us that have been on the front lines of fraud fighting, are we really that surprised that, you know, an organization doesn't want to invest in something, especially when it's not making a lot of money for anyone? Yeah. I mean, and it's no trying to be mean to the banks. It's just that's the nature of it. It's hard enough to get funding for products and and services and payment methods that do have high usage that are verified and good. But with good check usage going down, it makes sense that the banks would be like, why would we invest in it? Everybody's using debit cards now or credit cards or, you know, whatever. But these are losses to the bank, right? Or, oh, no, they're losses to the consumers. Like, Yeah, when they're scams, they're losses to the consumers. Yeah. But in many cases, the banks lose money on these checks as well, mm-hmm. right? When it's check washing, that's obviously the bank should have detected that forgery. So the right, okay. Counterfeiting, the bank's liable. So yeah, there's, in fact, one of the frustrating things, so we talked about identity theft, right? And identity mm-hmm. theft is skyrocketing. And so everybody looks at identity theft going, that's where we need the money is we need the money in identity theft. So there's a oh, right? over invest. But then actually the biggest loss line behind credit cards for banks is check fraud to this day. So a lot of banks, 60% of their losses are check fraud. So it still represents a very large proportion of banks losses, but it's because it's so old and because it's checks are going away, banks tend to, right. it's not the shiny new object. Right. Yeah. I was going to use that, that sexy <laughs> yeah. word that I never think belongs in anything talking about fraud, but that's like, oh, it's not sexy anymore. Right. That's kind of what people say. Not yet. What do you mean by, so just out of curiosity, the banks. So were you saying that credit card, like because of credit card repayment, or is it because some credit card issuers offer checks? Oh, uh, no. Why? Or, or was I? Yeah. It, <laughs> something. If I you look at a, up. you take a big bank, they typically have lots of products and 
they have credit cards they issue, they have um, checking accounts, they have right. Excel, they have, you know, all these debit cards. But if you look at like a pie chart for those banks and say, where's your losses for fraud? You typically have credit card being number one, then check fraud being number two. Oh, okay. Then maybe like, maybe debit card and then ACH, wire transfer, you know, all these different types of fraud they can have. Check mm-hmm. fraud is still like up there, typically two or three in terms of the size of the losses. So I always find wow. it surprising that there's not more attention placed to it, but. You know, it's one of those things, what's that phrase that I keep hearing on the news recently too? It's surprising, but not shocking. Yeah. Is yeah. that or is it? Sh- yeah, I think that's the way that goes. It's surprising, <laughs> but it's we've seen it in fraud over time and time again. So it's not, it's not like, wow, that's shocking. Right, right. Yeah. And it's not the new thing, but it's not only is it costing banks and consumers so much money, but I think the difference here is the supply and the demand of glass in quotation marks or of these checks and yeah. check washing. It's now causing real world harm on humans and people who aren't paid that much in the grand scheme of things deliver our mail regularly. That's not fair. I mean, I really appreciate the fact that Frank is continuing to like beat the drum and he he must have a Google alert out because it really like all over the U.S. and it feels like it's every day, at least there's one article and it's really, you know, and yeah, the last thing he posted were it was a headline (laughs) that says mail thefts up, postal police officers reduced. And so I think oftentimes in fraud, we see a lot of cause and effect, right? And obviously, you know, I mean, who's to say if those police officers for USPS weren't reduced, would there still be a check problem? Probably, but at least there'd be some deterrence, right? There would be some consequences. There would be some, and the carriers would feel safer for sure. Yeah. Yes. I don't know. This mob mentality is as you take away the law enforcement piece, mm-hmm. they'll tend to not have any repercussions. Yep. And they'll tend to do things they wouldn't otherwise do. So you may have people that never thought about committing fraud, but you see all these other people doing it. And you're like, I'm going to do it too. I fear of missing out and getting all this money. So you get this mob mentality. Oh, yeah. And they do a really good job of like posting all the money and the cash and all the things they got. So then more people want to know how they did it. And I mean, they're very very good at marketing yeah. on social media, on YouTube, on Telegram, all of that stuff. And yeah. so it does make people be like, oh, that looks easy. I can do that. And yeah. to your point, so many people learned how to commit fraud over the last few years in the U.S., as well as in the U.K. The U.K. is also having quite a bit of fraud issues right now. And a lot of it began because of COVID relief, or at least, I mean, the growth was helped by COVID relief. It was yeah. still on an upward trajectory. Uh, yes. Yeah. Yeah. This is important to support. Make sure law enforcement is part of your strategy. I mean, I know, yeah, it sounds like kind of old school, like, like, Mm -hmm. oh, law enforcement is going to help people look at that as an old school technique. But to me, it's front and center. Oh my gosh. Have ramifications for these criminals. You have to support law enforcement, help them help you. I hate hearing about defunding law enforcement at all, because this is what happens. I mean, Frank Alberto, when he brings it up, this cause and effect, the way that piece, this is what you get. Yeah. And sometimes it's just the deterrence, right? Just knowing that law enforcement might or or has or will prosecute some of these crimes does help deter yeah. things. That's why retailers for so long have had the sticker on the mirror 
in the dressing rooms that say we will prosecute shoplifters. If they said, please don't steal from us, it wouldn't have the same effect. And I actually and I never expect anyone to listen to every episode of Sprotology. I love it when they do. And you are very busy. But if you have not yet listened to the episode with Robert Capps and Eric Bowles, I want to say it was episode 103. They're from StubHub. They created. Did you listen to that one? I loved it. Yeah, I loved it. Thought you might. Yeah. Oh, yeah, that's right. I think I even sent you a note like, hey, because I purposely asked them to come on for that because I do think that not enough companies online are incorporating that into their strategy. And I understand why. Either it's because somebody tried to reach out to law enforcement at some point over the last several years and they didn't get anywhere and they felt like they're not going to support us. The other reason is because the business looks at it and says, well, how are we going to get our money back? But as Eric said, after the huge international bust that they had, they saw fraud like go down 90% overnight. Absolutely. Yeah. hundred percent. You got it. And it got posted all over the place. They made sure to, and, and this was more Robert because he wasn't at the company anymore. And so he had a little bit more freedom, but they made sure that it made the press because they wanted to make sure that it got out, that don't mess with us. I worked at a bank in internal fraud investigations. I would always arrest the internal fraudster and we would handcuff him on site and walk him out of the building. And immediately after yes. that uh, internal fraud cases dropped. So it's just such a good point. Yeah. It needs to be full circle, right? It needs to be, there needs to be a comprehensive strategy. And yeah, yeah absolutely. And I, I know a few fraud managers who have, and actually I think Eric and Robert have done this too, who have printed out a post that they've found. Back then it was on dark web forums. Now it's on Telegram and others. And whenever I find them for retailers that I've worked with on a refund fraud, I always send them to them. And I say, frame this in your office where it says like, don't even mess with them because they're not worth it. Or they process executed someone or, oh my gosh, like they found out about this or that, or, and I'm more, they're very nervous about that when it happens because it is rare. And so they'll just kind of stop picking on you and go somewhere else. It's the whole, yeah, not I trying to outrun gotta, the bear thing. You got to have the punishment. I think one of my pet peeves has always been many banks do this where a police officer or an investigator will call the bank and say, Hey, I'd like to get some information mm-hmm. on a player. And then they're like, throw the book at making it as hard as possible to help them. Like, okay, send me a subpoena, send me the blah, blah, blah. They yep. want them to the ring. I know they have to kind of do it, but can't you kind of transfer for them to the fraud group and let the fraud group at least have some conversation to try to help them and maybe open up the case and make it a faster channel because these... It can also help the fraud department, right? Because if somebody's investigating this one, let's see what else is connected to that. Yeah. Exactly. Mm-hmm. So it's just. Yeah. yeah. No, I'm I'm with you. I and I understand why from a privacy perspective and all of that. But I agree with you that and I know of some companies that have. And, and you know, I think that Eric and Robert did this. Eric, especially he went to every single in-person meeting that any of the regional ECTFs, the Electronic Crimes Task Force, like ever had. And he like made contact with them and said like, hey, let me know how I can help you. And once that happened, there was a lot more trust and ability to help. And and they wouldn't ever provide anything that they couldn't, but they would, I know that, and, and they're probably not the best example because I actually don't know exactly what they did, but I know of a couple other companies that have worked with their legal team to say, hey, this is actually in our best interest. Is there a way that we can say, okay, if we've already marked them as fraud, we knew they were fraudulent. Are we giving this fraudster the same protections as our good consumers? Like, is that, and having those conversations. But Frank, I could talk to you 
all day long and I would love every minute of it. And I'm sure my listeners would love it too, but I've taken up enough of your time today. So I just, I want to give you a minute to share any last thoughts on these topics that you wanted to share, but this has been so packed with good information. Oh yeah. It's been always great. Great to talk to you. Yeah. I think to me, these are two types of fraud, credit washing and check fraud that I think we need to raise the exposure. I think having you having me here, I know a lot of people care about it. Yeah. And I know that they are looking for some tools and techniques. So hopefully they'll get, you know, a little bit more exposure for this. Maybe they can share it to their manager, their executives. And then the many people that listen to your, that are merchant related, maybe they'll get a little bit of knowledge about some of the techniques that are being used in other industries. I certainly always look to the merchant experience. I always think you saw my blog about which generation of fraud fighter. I yes, I imagine. loved it. Yeah. The merchant, I call them the most battle-tested fraud mm-hmm. fighters. The, the merchant, your fraud fighters on the merchant side are seeing the brunt of these fraud attacks. Mm. And so I view the experience of the merchant side as front and center in the war on fraud. So hopefully I, get, I was able to give them a bit of insight into some of the fraud. Well, yeah, and you never know, right? I, I know that there are several types of companies that identify as merchants or fintechs or that bubble that maybe aren't traditional banking that deal with these things. Or maybe they haven't seen it yet, but they've been seeing some suspicious things. And and now they're like, oh, that's what was happening. But also it's just, I don't want to use the word fun, but it's interesting and fascinating for all of us to learn about fraud that we don't encounter every day too. Because those of us who are, you know, infected with the fraud bug, so to speak, the anti-fraud bug, I should say, are fascinated with human behavior and how they exploit things and how they use trust to exploit humans and consumers as well as industry and, and banking. So all of this was very interesting. And I really, I can't thank you enough for sharing your time as well as your expertise on these topics that I admittedly didn't know a lot about, but knew that there, whenever you're beating a drum about something, I know it's important. And so I wanted to definitely highlight it and share the information with my audience as well. I appreciate it, Chris. Thank you again. Thank you. again to Sardine for sponsoring this episode of Fraudology and for supporting information sharing and collaboration across the fraud fighter ecosystem. You can learn more about the team and their mission at Sardine via the link in today's episode description.